Could you open your Bibles to Revelation 22? We're going to be studying verses 6 through 19. And last Sunday, God's Word, I don't know how you felt about it, but to me it was like a mountaintop-like experience, particularly in verse 4 when it said that every follower of Christ will one day see his face. Every Christian will have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Now, I don't know how you feel about face-to-face encounters. It seems like we either dread them or love them. I think we dread them if we have a face-to-face encounter with someone who's disappointed with us, angry or frustrated with us. That's, that's not a face-to-face encounter we look forward to. And I think we love them when we have a face-to-face encounter with someone who delights in us, accepts us, forgives us. That's a face-to-face encounter we enjoy, isn't it? And I bet you would have no problem thinking of someone who seems to be regularly disappointed in you and the feeling of withdrawing from their face versus someone who seems to be regularly delighting in you and how you really do desire to see their face again. I had a friend once tell me that he saw a big difference between his dad and mine. He said that he was more aware of his dad's disappointment in him and more aware of my dad's delight in me. And I asked him, why? Where where are you getting that from? He said, it's in their faces. It's in their faces. And he closed that thought by saying, he longed to look into the face of someone who delighted in him. I'll never forget that. It broke my heart. He longed to look into the face of someone who delighted in him. And that's why I think verse 4 is such a mountaintop verse for us. Because when a believer sees the face of Christ, he or she will see the face of someone who perfectly delights in you. Who perfectly accepts you. And who's perfectly forgiven you. That's what every believer has to look forward to. And that future reality should make us want to see him. And it would seem that the book of Revelation could have ended right there. (laughs) What a great way to end the book. Not. (laughs) Not not the end of it. Um, God included 16 more verses. And I want you to listen as we read them. At at first glance, they might seem to be a little bit of a letdown from, from seeing the face of Christ. But remember, Revelation is a book that God wants to use to pastor our hearts. It's the last few times I'm going to say this. To pastor our hearts more than just prophesy to our hearts. And I think you'll see how pastoral these verses are to shepherd your soul and mine. So could you stand with me as we read God's inerrant, inspired, authoritative, and sufficient word. Beginning in verse 6, chapter 22, beginning in verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. 
And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, oh, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Can you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, I'll we ask that you'd pastor our hearts through this text. God, we, we don't want to stay the same. We, we don't want to be hearers of the word and not doers of any portion of scripture, particularly of the book of Revelation. Uniquely in this series, this study that we've been doing. Oh God, change us. Give us a heart for heaven that would make us more fruitful on earth. Please, oh God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, 35 years ago, when I first entered full-time vocational ministry, I was given a book written by a Puritan pastor named Richard Baxter called The Reform Pastor. I don't know, has anybody, it's going to be kind of an idea. Anybody have read that? A few of you, a few of you have read it. It's a great book. That book continues to affect my life today. Baxter was a pastor who both devoted himself to evangelism of the lost and shepherding the saved. It's one of the reasons he's such an example to me, an inspiration to me, because it's easy just to kind of get kind of shut away. In the, in, some people have called the church coward, a coward's castle. 
because it's a place we kind of hide from the world rather than go into the world. Baxter, Baxter cared for the church. He cared for the local church, but he also sought to see the lost saved. And it said that the Lord used him to evangelize a complete town, almost single-handedly, of about 2,000 adults. And that doesn't even count their children. And Baxter was devoted to trying to then personally visit each member of his church uh, once a year. And he did all of that while he suffered from chronic kidney stones, unending headaches, profuse bleeding from the slightest cut, painful tooth and gum disease, and many more ailments. I didn't want to get out of bed after I read that, and I'm not even going through that. He was asked how he could be so faithful to evangelism and pastoring in spite of all of his suffering. And you know what his answer was? His answer was this. I spend at least 30 minutes a day meditating upon heaven. He said that the greatest scholars are able to get the scriptures from their eyes to their brains. But he said the greatest Christians are those who get the scriptures from their brains to their hearts. And he said, meditating on God's word, particularly about heaven, seemed to both inspire him and empower him to overcome the temptation to give up because of his suffering and to continue to be faithful to Jesus' command to make disciples. Oh, my precious church family, I think that's the pastoral purpose of verses 6 through 19. This is John being a wonderful pastor to the original audience. Remember, original audience, original audience. To the original audience of the seven churches of Asia Minor. In both getting them to meditate on heaven so that they could be faithful to overcome. Remember that word overcome. We've seen that word so often in Revelation. To overcome both the seductive temptations to find their satisfaction in idolatry or to be tempted to give up and give in to face the pers- to fa- in the face of persecution and suffering. So these last verses are how the book of Re- Revelation gets us to meditate regularly about heaven. And I hope you'll begin that practice. I think we should all begin that practice. Meditate on heaven so that we can be more faithful to our mission on earth. God gives us a vision of final victory so that we will fight victoriously against sin and Satan to make disciples of Jesus now. So here's our main point this morning. God calls us to be faithful to our mission because Jesus is coming soon. Let's let's look more at this text. First point this morning is Jesus is coming soon. So be faithful to his word. And I hope that stood out to you already. I hope you're already going, I saw that. I saw that when we read the text. Did you notice how many times the phrase keeps the words of this book? Keeps the words of this book. Keeps the words of this book was used. It was in 7, 9, 10. It was three times in 18 alone. Now, I I think he's specifically speaking immediately about the book of Revelation. But isn't that really the story of all of the scripture? Blessed are he or she who keeps the words of this book. Well, then you should ask why. Why is there a blessing for that person? This is the sixth, you could say the sixth beatitude of Revelation. 
Why is there a blessing for that? Well, verse 6 tells us. So let's keep your nose in the book as we go through it. These words are trustworthy and true. How many trustworthy and true words have you heard this week? I mean, except for Scripture and hopefully other believers, I think what... I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of percent, but I think a large percent of what we hear day by day, week by week, is not trustworthy nor true. Well, it's true because God's word is inerrant and inspired and authoritative. It's trustworthy because it's sufficient to bring life and godliness to whoever believes it and cherishes it and seeks to obey it. It's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, as it says in 2 Timothy 3. Did you also notice that because these words are trustworthy and true, don't you dare tamper with them? Did you notice that passage too? Don't add to them. This is sobering. Or God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Don't take away from them or God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. This isn't talking about secondary issues that Christians for years have disagreed about or tertiary issues for that matter. This isn't talking about whether you're amill or pre-mill or post-mill. This isn't talking about whether the gift of tongues is still operative today or not. It's not those things. What it's talking about is we cannot compromise the inspiration, inerrancy, authority, and sufficiency of Scripture, particularly about things like the deity of Christ. Amen? We can't compromise that. What about God's sovereignty in all things? We can't compromise that Jesus is the only way of salvation. We can't compromise the reality of eternal judgment and eternal joy. We can't compromise the sanctity of human life or the sacredness of marriage between one biological man and one biological woman. The text says we're to keep the words of this book. So, so we also... So this is... This, this, I think this is related in terms of keeping the words of this book. I think we also don't want to compromise being governed by this book. Does your Bible govern you? Is it the authoritative voice in your life? Because what's happening right now is that this is what you're, the lie you're being sold, same lie Adam and Eve heard, so it's not a new lie. But here's the lie you are what you feel. Your feelings are your authoritative voice. I mean, think about this week. How many times did your feelings lead to the decisions you made and not the word of God? It's an authoritative voice that just creeps in. And it's, it's subtle and it's deceptive. We can't compromise being governed by God's word. Too many so-called Christians acknowledge the Bible as God's word, but they get their sexual ethics from the world, not from the word. They define their business practices by the world standards, not the word standards. That it's okay to justify being greedy or being unforgiving or being bitter if you were hurt bad enough, because after all, Jesus understands. No. 
when we talk about God's word, we cannot allow ourselves to think that, that it's our interpretation of the Bible that matters. Have you ever been to a little group study and somebody says, well, I, what I believe about this is, and, and that could be very innocent to say and do, but is, is it what you believe about it that matters? Or is it important that your belief be shaped by the divine intent of that passage when God inspired it? You see how we can do that? It's just, it, these things can slip, slip in so much. How about the person that says, well, I'd like to think of God like blah, 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 blah. Versus how God has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. Oh, precious ones, we cannot tamper with the word of God. We want to keep it. We want to love it. We want to cherish it. We want to obey it. Do you cherish the word today more than you did in the early days of your salvation? Are you, are you hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that you find day after day after day in this book? Do you cherish the book? Do you love the book? Alan yesterday in the, in the weekender mentioned Thomas Goodwin. He's a Puritan pastor. And when he was a student at Cambridge, he went to hear a preacher named John Rogers preach about the need to learn and obey and swallow and, and, and nurture your heart, feed your heart on, the, on God's whole word or what has been called the whole counsel of God. Living on every word that God has spoken. And Goodwin was so affected by that message. It awakened in him a cherishing of God's word and a hunger for God's word. And this is what happened. He was found weeping, hanging on his horse's neck. He didn't even get on his horse. He just, he just fell onto his horse's neck. And I, no, no one knows how long he wept there, and finally someone wondered, maybe he needs help, and they went over to ask him what's wrong, and he says, oh, how I want to be a man who cherishes and feeds upon and obeys the whole counsel of God. Oh, that that be the prayer of this church family. And then Revelation 22.7 says that blessed is the one who keeps the words of this book. And certainly there's a happiness factor there. There's a satisfaction there. But I, listen, happiness is great. Satisfaction is awesome. But we need strength. Don't you need strength? How many times did you find yourself about to give up just because you're either weary or exhausted or exasperated? Blessed are they who keep the words of this book because God will give us strength to be overcomers. An, an ability to overcome both temptation and persecution. Oh, because we cherish this book. Second point is Jesus is coming soon. So be faithful to worship him. Verses eight and nine, John falls at the angel's feet and worships him. This is the second time an apostle has done this. So let's take all a corporate gulp. Because I think it's easy to look at a passage like that and go, there's a big difference between an angel and Jesus. I wouldn't fall 
at an angel's feet? If an apostle can be tempted to worship what God has made and not God himself, you can too. And you probably did it this week. I did. And God, forgive me, and I thank you for the price you paid, Jesus, to forgive me for that. Are your prayers, let me ask you some questions. Are your prayers asking more for what God can give you more than they're asking for more of God himself? Maybe some idolatry issues there. Maybe not, but it's worth looking into. Do you build your life around getting the things you need and want from the world that God has made more than your life being built around worshiping and serving God himself? God gives messengers of his word, and we have to be careful. That's what this angel is, is a messenger. Well, doesn't, doesn't God give messengers of his word today? And don't we have to be careful not to idolize the messenger? God gives food, and we have to be careful not to idolize food food, Buddha belly billy. God, <laughs> I am convicted about that. So I'm, that's, God gives work and we have to be careful not to idolize work or the money it gets us or the admiration of others it gets us. God gives marriage, but we have to be careful to have a God-centered, not a spouse-centered marriage. God gives children, but oh my, we've got to be careful not to be child-centered, but God-centered as parents. The angel says, worship God. And then the text, did you notice how many ways the text gave us a bunch of reasons why we can and should? So let's, let's dive into them because they're awesome. First, he says, worship God because he is the alpha and the omega. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. You could say he is the A to Z of everything that you need. Now, I know I'm an old dude and I am slow on the uptake on almost everything in the universe. I think that Don McClure, you say amen. I love you, Don McClure. I can't, I can't argue, Don McClure, because that's, you're right. It's a right amen. I was talking with Eric, and um, we were talking about Amazon. And uh, Eric, we were talking about the logo. And, you know, I always thought Amazon, and all I, all I see is Amazon and a smiley face, a little smile. And maybe, I don't know if that's been you too. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen what it was supposed to be doing. I just thought, I'm, I know I smile <laughs> when, when that goofball package comes to my house. I don't, it's just the weirdest thing. I smile about it getting a package. Did you notice it's not, well, maybe it is a smiley face, but have you noticed what it really is? It, the, it starts under the letter A and it finishes under the letter Z. It's brilliant. It, brilliant marketing. Brilliant marketing. You guys, God is way better than Amazon. <laughs> He's the alpha and the omega of all you need for life and godliness. He's the alpha and the omega of all you need for loneliness. He's the alpha and the omega of all you need in terms of worry about finances or children. He's, he's all you need. And when you trust him, it's amazing there tends to be a smile when you trust him. 
Greg Beale put it this way. I'm sorry, there's a couple more here. He says, I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And this is speaking about his sovereignty. The fact that, this is Greg Beale, it's in your notes. The fact that Christ is present at and sovereign over the beginning and end of creation is boldly stated to indicate that he is also present and sovereign over all events in between. How about the events of your week? I think you can tell when you're not trusting in God's sovereignty. Anybody work, don't raise your hand. Anybody worry this week? Who are you trusting in? Worry is a big red flag that you're trusting in you. Or maybe you're trusting in another human being who's just as frail and fallen and finite as you. Worry and fear are evidences that we are in control and it's up to us to figure it out. Oh, take a fresh look at the face of your sovereign God in Christ Jesus. He's not only in control of your life, he's lovingly in control of your life the way a father is. It's where the word providence comes from. It's a fatherly sovereignty. Abraham Kuyper said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, over, over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Do you, do you recognize that all of the things that, you, that swirl about your world are his? Or are you still kind of trying to snatch them as yours? It's another, no wonder you're worrying about things if you're saying, no, this is mine. This is what I need to be happy. This is, it's no wonder worry and fear come in and you take your eyes off the sovereignty of God. Trust him, it's his Look at his smiling face, his sovereign smiling face. And then, is it, this is why we worship him and not angels or idols. And then verse 16 says, I'm the root and the descendant of David. That's, we need to unpack that just a second. What, essentially what he's saying is, Jesus is the root of David because Jesus made David. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So Jesus made David because he's God the son, but he's also the descendant of David, meaning he's, he's, he's God incarnate. He's God incarnate in Christ. He's fully God. He's fully man. So that in his sacrifice, he could satisfy the wrath of God and provide the forgiveness of God. These are reasons we worship him. He's the bright and morning star. He's the light that announces the dawn of a new day just before the sun rises. It's that star. It's that, when all the other stars seem to begin to fade. And there's that bright star right before the sun rises. Jesus is that bright star. And he is announcing that that new eternal day is just on the horizon. Aren't you glad he's the bright and morning star? Aren't you glad that all the other stars go dim in the light of his glory and grace? Oh, Jonathan Edwards put it this way, precious ones. I've noticed that when I most exalt the sovereignty and majesty of Jesus Christ, that the people most bow down in worship under a felt sense 
of the sheer glory of his presence. When was the last time that's happened for you? Where you, you felt compelled almost. Maybe you didn't go to your knees. Maybe you did. But you bowed your head under a felt sense of the sheer glory of his presence. I'll bet you bowed your head this week to the, to the threats of this world. To thinking that some earthly thing can satisfy. But we bowed our heads to those things. Oh, precious ones, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his glorious face. And oh, experience again. God wants to give these kinds of experiences to us. Experience again the sheer glory and beauty of his sovereign majesty. Third point, Jesus is coming soon. So be faithful to be his witnesses. Verse 10 says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. I just, I just want to point out to you something to you. My watch stopped, but don't be afraid. Verse 10, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. In the book of Daniel, remember we studied Daniel before we studied Revelation because you just really will not interpret Revelation well unless you're understanding the roots that Daniel has and the influence that Daniel has in the book. And so we read there in Daniel very similar prophetic words that we've studied in Revelation. And the book of Daniel was different though because those words were to be sealed up because it wasn't time. Now, the, the, the prophet of the book of Revelation is saying, now don't seal these words because the time is near. Don't close the book because it's time for open, for open mouths. It's time for us to be sharing the gospel until Jesus comes again. That's what he's getting at here. The time is near. So are you? Are you, is, is the book of Revelation, is one of the, God, give fruit like this in our church family. Are you having a greater burden to, to evangelize the lost? Or have you been a little bit more bold to share the gospel? Do you consider sharing the gospel as an optional part of Christianity or a, or a commanded part of Christianity? The time is near. We're to be proclaiming the gospel. And then the text gives us itself how to do it. Because the point A under that is that be faithful to proclaim the warning of the gospel. Boy, we saw some tough stuff there, didn't we? Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Precious ones, if you do not want and love Christ now, you will not want and love him after you die. The condition of your heart now will be the condition of your heart for eternity. And yes, that should sober you. And if this is the condition of your heart, evil, filthy, You will experience ongoing judgment and righteous wrath for eternity because this will be the eternal condition of your heart. 
If you're not following Christ now and think, and then maybe this is for some of our younger people. If you're not following and loving Christ now, cherishing Christ, hungering and thirsting for Christ now, and you think, well, I might follow him later. What makes you think that you can just turn a switch and follow him then? You're not choosing him now. What makes you think you'll choose him then? You were already born with a heart as hard as stone because of sin. You were born alive to sin and dead to God. Your rejection of Christ now is only hardening your heart further. I gotta look at it. Continuous sinning does not leave your heart unchanged. It doesn't. Yeah, if, you're, if you're a senior in high school or a junior higher, and you're just, ah, I hear this stuff, and Pastor Billy gets all up in arms about this stuff, drives me crazy. Boy, but that little redhead girl, if I had that little redhead girl, right? She might have a pimple, but otherwise, that little redhead girl. And you just are thinking, you know, maybe sometime I'll turn and follow Jesus. You don't realize that the choices you're making today are affecting the trajectory of your tomorrow. Listen, how many of us adults would go, how I wish I would have heard this word when I was in senior high. How many of us adults would say, I'm still battling sin issues that that were born in my life when I was a teenager? Because they didn't, your heart is not neutral. Your heart is not neutral. You're, you came into this world with a fist in God's face. And continuing to sin only hardens the condition. And when Jesus comes again, there's not going to be some sort of 10-minute window for you to realize, oops, I need him. He's going to come like a thief in the night and whatever the condition your heart is in then. I'm not talking, you know the word I'm using, condition. I'm not talking about oops. I'm not talking about a stumble. I'm not talking about how we all can still stumble in sin even after salvation. I'm talking about a condition of your heart. You've never been saved. You've never been changed. According to what the condition of your heart is then, that will be the condition of your heart for eternity. Verse 12 says, Behold, I'm coming soon, and I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. Verse 15 talks about that there are going to be people that are left outside of heaven. And he calls them dogs. Darn. Couldn't he have said cats? I had a traumatic, sorry, you cat lovers. <laughs> I had a traumatic experience when I was five with a cat's paw and claws and my eye. So that's, uh, I won't mind if cats are left out. But <laughs> why are the biggest amens for the least valuable things I say? Um, the, the word dogs is just a word, a colloquialism for unbeliever. Left outside of heaven will be the dogs, sorcerers, the sexually immoral. These are conditions of heart. 
I mean, not, not, this, this isn't that you stumbled and, and are seeking the Lord and are repenting. and You have a lifestyle of repentance and you're pursuing the Lord. And that's, this is talking about a, a practice of life, an unchanged practice of life, sexually immortal, murderers. So you may as well throw in your angry because God sees anger as the sin of murder. Idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. That word there is really speaking. I think this is such a word for Bible Belt, United States. He's really talking about hypocrites. He's talking about Christian counterfeits. They're living a lie. You attend church, but you have no love for Christ and no commitment to his mission. So what do you do with that? You repent. Today is the day of salvation. God is only saying these things because this is how he softens a hard heart. This is how he melts a hardened heart. This is how he gives new life in place of the old. And let's go further because it's not just a warning. You notice we're finishing on the high point. We're finishing with the best news ever. We need to also be faithful, precious ones, to offer the welcome. We, we open our arms here. We want to be faithful to offer the welcome. Verse 14, blessed, here it is, there's a seventh. Blessed, happy, empowered for obedience, an overcomer, somebody enduring to the end are those who wash their robes. You cross-reference that with seven, chapter 7, verse 14 of Revelation, and we see that they washed their robes and made them white, where? In the blood of the Lamb. Turn in faith to Jesus. Your good works could never get you into heaven. Your good works could never, never cleanse you from the stain that sin left on you. Verse 14, and they will have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city through the gates. Those who come by the blood, those who come by the cross, you have the right to the tree of life, actually starting now through the word. We talked about that last week of how God uses our, the, 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 the word today to give us a little bit of, of the power of the age to come, to break into this age. And we feed on the life of God in the word. Verse 17, and now here comes the, the invitation. Here comes the welcome. Can you say that with me? Can you say, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty say, come. Actually, not even say, just come. Just come. You don't have to say anything. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Why? Because Jesus already paid for it. He paid for it. Jesus paid it all. Salvation is a free gift. Only one requirement. Be thirsty. That's the only requirement. Desire him. Is anyone thirsty this morning? Is anyone... <laughs> is anyone longing to be satisfied with something that would last versus something that would perish with its use. All God, all God says is, if you're thirsty, come. If you want a new life, 
come. How do we come? By the blood. We come by the way Christ made for us to have a relationship with God through his bearing our sin judgment and, and he counting us with his righteousness. That's how we come. So let the one who's empty and dissatisfied this morning come. Let the one who is weary and loaded down with a ton of worries and care come. Let the one who's angry and bitter come. Let the one who should have known better. I just, when I wrote that this morning, I just thought, I think that's probably for somebody uniquely here. Let the one, you haven't come because you've been hearing this. You should have known better. You should have known better. Let that one come. Let the one who's lonely and hopeless come. This isn't just for people who don't know Christ. This is for Christians. You're not coming for salvation. Do you know how Christians overcome? Do you know how Christians overcome? We keep coming and coming and coming again to the fountain of living water. We keep drinking and drinking and drinking some more, asking God to fill us with his spirit again and again and again. We know Jesus paid the price for my most recent sin, not just all the sins I committed before I trusted him. So I come again, and I come again, and I come again. Oh, and I so long for that for everyone in this room. I so long for you to experience the river of life that Jesus said. Listen, you know, I get, I get a little bit of slaking of my thirst from this little bottle of water. Oh, listen, Jesus said, you're not just going to get a little bit of, you're not just going to get rid of the dry mouth. Jesus said, you come to me and out of your belly is going to flow rivers of living water. And now look what's happened. You've come in order to give. It, it's, that's, what, that's, whole, that's the whole plan. God wants to slake your thirst in such a fashion that it is actually multiplied within you so that you can now be the giver of that living water for someone else. Come, drink, drink. Greg Beale closes this, this sermon by saying this. The main point of the whole book, Eric, you can come, please. The main point of the whole book is that faithful endurance and obedience to the end will result in eternal blessing and reward with the ultimate result of glorifying God in Christ. So just to say the few comments we made at the beginning, Revelation gets us to meditate regularly about heaven so that we can be faithful to our mission on earth. God gives us a vision of final victory so that we will fight victoriously against sin and Satan to make disciples of Jesus now. Our main point is God calls us to be faithful to our mission because Christ is coming soon. And that's how we'll close the book next week. Would you stand? Uh, Brandon and Mari, would you guys come and you guys just, we're trying to do some things a little bit differently. Um, we're going to invite you to come for prayer. 
not waiting till the church is dismissed, but we want you to come for prayer during the singing. Don't wait. Don't wait. And, and isn't there so much that we could be praying about today? Yeah, the Lord loves to give you prayer partners, love, loves to give us the body of Christ to spur us on to love and good deeds. And one of the wonderful ways of doing that is praying for one another. If there's a part of your life that you've, you've just, you've been lonely and, 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 that, and yet there's a thirst in you that no human companionship can settle, satisfy, oh, come. Come to him. Come to the fountain of living water. Come let him satisfy your soul. If you don't know Jesus Christ here, you've heard, you heard the bad news that sin justly deserves. You've also heard the good news that none of us deserve. But God wants to give to you as a free gift. Come to Jesus this morning and be saved. And know what it's like to be anticipating that one day... You'll see him face to face and you're not going to find, you're not going to see that disappointed look that maybe so many other people in your life have given you. You're going to see a God who's delighted in you because now you're in his son. And the same delight God has for Jesus, he'll have for you. The same acceptance God has for Jesus, he'll have for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. I'll come back and dismiss us this time.